Welcome to the Digital Missions Podcast, where we're raising up 1,000 digital billygrams to take Christ to culture. This podcast is in partnership with Think Eternity, the Digital Missions Collective, and the Ministers Initiative. To find out more, visit digitalmissions.co or the miagency.com. Well, we are very blessed to have today's podcast guest, uh, Pastor Dave Ferguson. You're going to love the things that he has to share. And among the dozens of things that I could tell you about him, I want to zero in on one in particular. He wrote a book called Hero Maker, and it will change your life. As a pastor, I've read dozens of books on quote-unquote discipleship, but this is the one that I couldn't put down. I've shared it with so many of my friends because it has absolutely shifted my perspective on what God has called us to do. I know that you're going to love it, and you're going to love the information that Dave has to share with us today. So let's dive into the Digital Missions Podcast with special guest Dave Ferguson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Digital Missions Podcast. I'm here with an incredible leader named Dave Ferguson. He has planted 2,700 churches. He is the co-leader of the largest church planning conference in the world, attended by 10,000 uh, church planners and leaders, and sometimes more. It's it's growing. And he pastors a dynamic church near Chicago. I believe the main campus is in Napierville, Illinois, and has a dynamic story. He's a preacher's kid, which is near and dear to my heart. So we're so excited to have you on, Dave. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on, John. You are pastoring an incredible church. Did I say that right? Napierville? <laughs> it's close. Naperville. 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 Yeah. Near... It's Near it's Chicago. Suburb, yeah, it's a west suburb of Chicago. Yes. Awesome. And, and, and you know what? Just, just so, so we're keeping it real here, too. The 2,700 churches, I didn't actually plant 2,700, but we have a network that has 2,700 churches. Okay. We can, we can change that up. All right. So you're oh. pastoring a dynamic church in Naperville near Chicago, co-founder of the New Thing Network, exponential. Uh, you're author of all these award-winning books. There's a lot of really great things. And I know that leaders hate to brag about themselves, but I'm going to ask you for just a second, give us a little snapshot of all the things that you're excited about right now. Snapshot of the things I'm excited about. Um, I'm really excited because my middle son got a job in Cincinnati and we just moved him in his new apartment last week. How about that? That is incredible. That is cool. That's awesome. Um, on the ministry side, no, I mean at Community, um, we it was really cool. We we saw record attendance over Christmas, so it's a lot of people find their way back to God. We also started two brand new locations in prisons, which is awesome. Um, at New Thing, um, we commented on this briefly. We did actually, I guess, I got the new numbers. We actually now have more than three thousand churches that are part of our New Thing Network, and we planted over eight hundred churches last year. Those, those churches planted 800 churches last year, which is very cool. And uh, we're pursuing, we think we can see that 10,000 number um, in the next couple of years. And the exponential, on the exponential side, we're going to have a conference. Uh, we have our one in Orlando and our nine regionals here in North America, but we're going to have our first one in Berlin. So we're going to take exponential to Berlin in 2020. So I'm really pumped about going to Europe as a part of uh, exponential too. So there's some really cool things. And you know, I mean, God has been super, super kind, super kind. 
That is incredible. And you've written nine books. Is that right? Or more? Something like that. When I scroll through your website, I think there's at least nine that are there. And out of those nine, five or six directly deal with the church. That seems to be a topic that you're passionate about. And I know this is a simplistic question, but why? Why the church? I think the, I think the church is, first of all, it's, it's, it's God's eternal community. So we better get used to it. And I think it's also God's primary means for uh, for changing the world and accomplishing His mission. So, for me, part of the reason I kind of got on board with the whole church thing is I I think it's mission critical to what God's want to do in the world. Absolutely. Those who are listening to this podcast, the Digital Missions Podcast, are people who are intrigued by what the internet is doing in the world of ministry. So they're connected to the church in some sort of a way, but I've begun to notice in my generation, I'm a millennial, but I deal a lot with generation Zers as well, or whatever that name will end up being. Um, but it seems like in the Christian world, there's two types of people when it comes to the church. There are those ones who are all in passionate and involved. And then there are the ones who really believe that they can accomplish their thing, whether that's a life thing or a what they would call a ministry without the help of the local church. They're kind, they're trying to be, you know, soul existent. And so I'm curious from your perspective, how do we bridge that gap? Why are two generations or more kind of disconnecting from the church? Is it something the church needs to communicate better or something that a younger generation needs to understand? Uh, I think that I think there's probably, I mean, there's things where the church is totally screwed up. And so when, when we've screwed it up, it, it kind of repels people. And, and I think there's, there's definitely, we can, I mean, me and you could spend the next you know, hour just talking about case in point on that one. Um, but on the other hand, I think, I think there's also a, probably a misunderstanding of what, to use a little more of a technical term, kind of a minimal ecclesiology. And an understanding of a minimal ecclesiology is what is a church? And I, I think a lot more work needs to be done on that. And I my own opinion is that when, you know, Jesus says, where two or three come together in my name, there I am in their pre- I, there I am with them. I think when you have two or three folks come together and they're there with Jesus uh, at the heart of their mission, trying to advance his cause, you probably have a church. So some of those folks probably who are like, nah, I really don't need the local church, but they may not realize that they've actually are the church. <laughs> That's that's definitely true. What are some of the things that you have found that local churches can do? And I hate using the word attract because our goal is not to be attractional, but what are some of the things that local churches can do to kind of defy those statistics that younger generations are walking away from the church? Because your local church has planted 12 campuses you're growing and thriving and you're multi-generational and some leaders are young who can't seem to minister to those much older than them. And some are older listening that have none that are younger than them in their local body. How do we, how do we bridge that generational gap? I, I, my, my experience is my experience is that I think what, what that generation, I guess the generation you're talking about is really looking for is just permission. Give me permission to play. Give me permission to actually get in the game. And I think for too many, for in too many situations, too many churches, I mean, you have to pay your dues for so many years for you actually even get to do anything. 
Um, one of the things that we've done at Community for a long time, we, we have something called our leadership community. And our leadership community is anybody who is in a, either an apprentice leader or a leader or a coach. Those are all volunteer kind of roles. And we have, we have, we include anybody who's junior high up. So middle school or up is a part of our leadership community. And so I think we just need to give them permission. And I think in a lot of times we've had people, you know, you got to wait to your, your mid twenties, your 30 before you ever get to do anything at church. And I think that's, it's, it's, it's a, it's a waste of great uh, leadership potential. It's a waste of great artistic potential and it's just a, it's a waste of, of influence. And I think if we did that, that would make a big, big, big difference. What does discipleship actually look like in the community body? There's, there's this interesting phrase in, I think it's John chapter 3. I'd have to get my Bible out and look, but I think it's in John 3, and I'm going to make a stab at verse 22, but don't, 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 I'm not for sure. It's in that neighborhood. And, but I remember is there's a, there's a, it, it, the phrase is Jesus spent some time with them. And it talks, and it's talking about his relationship with the disciples. And in there is, is this Greek word diatribo. And diatribo is a composite of actually dia and tribo, two words put together. And what it literally means is Jesus spent some time with him, or Jesus was actually the, literally means Jesus was rubbing off on them. And so just imagine. And so basically it's just saying Jesus just spent time rubbing off on his disciples. I, th- I think the whole idea of discipleship isn't so much, and I think this is where churches have have really have really derailed particularly i'd say in the, in in the last you know 50 years is we we equated discipleship with a, a a set of content or a curriculum you go through more than it is a relationship both with both with Jesus and with someone else who is who's mentoring you in that and so i think the way that Jesus did it was just by hanging out with them by rubbing off on them i think that's exactly the same way that discipleship happens today um, and, and when that begins to happen, life on life, I think that's when the good stuff that really begins to happen. There's a tweet that you put out that said churches should worry less about longevity and more about legacy. I know that discipleship plays a, a massive role in leaving a legacy, but for the, for the older leader, but also for the younger leader that's listening, what are some steps we can take right now to leave a legacy while also making sure that things, you know, all the plates stay spinning right now as we're working on the day to day. Yeah, I, I think I, I prefer you use the term discipleship. I prefer the term Dallas Willard used, and others are starting to use too. If if you've read, listened to John Mark Comer and um, and even Ortberg's kind of stuff uh, of, of apprenticeship, I think I think apprenticeship gets more to the heart of what Jesus is actually talking about what would happen, and um, I think. If if every leader, um, let's just let's we don't have to say we can say leader every person whatever it is that you're currently doing to advance the mission of Jesus, whatever your ministry is, whatever your cause is, if you would do that and apprentice someone else in doing that, that will ensure that you won't be just thinking about how long can I keep doing this longevity, but you'll be thinking about legacy. And as those people become proficient at that, I would encourage then release them to go do it on their own. So you can begin to multiply that. And candidly, that's how movement happens. In any way, that's how movement happens. And to bring it kind of full circle to our conversation, John, I think when Jesus came and, and, and left behind the church, he didn't leave behind this not-for-profit or an institution where you outsource your spirituality to. But what he did is he actually started a movement. It was a movement that would be, that would go, that would be, that would be worked out and expanded 
through these apprenticeships around the world. It's funny that you use the word movement. That's kind of a, a buzzword in younger generations today. Everybody's trying to start a movement. They're trying to, or they would call it trend. I want a trend. I want other people doing the same thing that I'm doing or believing or talking about the same thing that I'm talking about. And I can see where this goes hand in hand with your book, Hero Maker, as far as that apprenticeship, which if you haven't picked up the book, Hero Maker, you've got to go get it. I just ordered a couple copies today for a couple friends of mine. You've, you've got to read it. But in the younger generation, especially those we're talking to right now on the Digital Missions podcast, one of the things that's on their mind is the internet. They're doing things on the internet and they're connected, but they're so isolated at the same time. And I'm wondering from a pastor's perspective, how do you see the internet affecting the way that we quote unquote do church uh, both now and in the future? How do we, how do I see the internet affecting how we do church both now in the future? I mean, in some ways I, th I think the dichotomy between you know, online and not online. I, th I think that's, I think has now become a false dichotomy and it's just, it's, it's, it's life. This is how we do life. And I, I do think though, what is still yet to come is I do think churches will be increasingly trying to create platforms where people can actually, where there's plat, create a platform where like, John, if you wanted to disciple somebody, it, they would give you the tools in that platform, but you would be able to build a relationship with the other person. So like if let's say I was someone who's just brand new to faith or I'm not, I'm just starting to kind of be interested in faith. Churches would actually create platforms. So that's kind of again, going back to Ephesians, they would be equipping you and also me and they would give us the tools, but we would have the relationship and that relationship might be face to face, you know, in, 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 in person, or it might be online. But I think a, a big part of the future is how do churches create platforms that equip people to have relationships online that really become very, very meaningful. Have you seen the online church phenomenon affect attendance or involvement a community in any way? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we have digital small groups. We have our, you know, an online expression that we, we stream our services and stuff. And we've had, we could tell real life stories of someone who started attending online because uh, they were very much intimidated by showing up at one of our physical locations. Eventually they became so comfortable that they decided to show up at one of our locations. Not only did they only show up at our location, but they said yes to Jesus and were baptized. And then after they were baptized, they were like so taken by our mission of helping people find their way back to God. They joined one of our Explore community leadership groups, and now they're actually leading a small group. And that happened, all that happened, they were able to take those steps within, within a year. Now, I don't think that everyone has to kind of move from an online expression to a physical location to, to make it legitimate, not at all. But that's just one story of someone's journey. And I mean, like even this, even this, last, this weekend, I, we started 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And I forgot, I mean, we had tons of people who made commitments to 21 days of prayer and fasting through our online expression, um, which to me is every bit as legitimate as all the people at our other 12 locations who said yes to that. So it's pretty cool stuff. So at Community, you would measure 
online metrics with the same level of importance as your your in person. You consider that an extension of your ministry? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that'd be. A, I think it's a false dichotomy not to. I think. I mean, you have to. You have to be. If it's figured out, because I mean. There are, it is a little trickier, like if you're going to actually count like attendance, I mean, like how long do they have to be engaged? You need to have those things actually to decide that. But it's the same, the same kind of pathway because once they're show up there, we want to get them in a digital small group. If they get a digital small group, we feel like that's where if they're face-to-face, that's where that diatribo, right, rubbing off on each other can kind of be discipleship, can, apprenticeship can begin to happen. And so, yeah, absolutely. You use a phrase that says a hero maker creates a platform and lets other people stand on it. There are folks listening to this podcast who I think would love to know the definition of the word platform. They talk about platform in the context of a number of followers on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever. What does that mean to build a platform for other people to stand on? Well, I mean, I think I think it could be a digital platform like you just described, or it could also be a physical platform where instead of instead of you being the one who has to come forward and stand in the spotlight, you literally make sure that you are not on that physical platform at a physical location, that someone else is the person that you're training, equipping to, to make sure they know how to do it and they're doing it and they're doing it successfully. So I think it could be either one of those. Um, I don't know if that gets to the spirit of what you're talking about. I, I'm kind of curious too, though. I mean, I wonder if some of your listeners, if they're if the way for them to actually become a hero maker, isn't so much trying to expand their own platform, but as, as in their own voice. But what if their platform became an aggregator? Does that make sense? So, because to me, it feels like the hero maker's mindset is: yeah, you may occasionally have important things to say that people need to hear, but maybe the most important thing you can do is you're aggregating other voices and, give, and, and, and giving them a platform to, to, to share those to the world. And here's my hunch, John. My hunch is if we did that digitally, we had that instead of making sure everybody heard my voice, my voice, my voice, but we were going, hey, I want people to hear voices that I think are important. I'm giving them a platform. It would probably actually, it would probably actually, actually expand our own influence by being an aggregator instead of promoting our own, our own voice. But Dave, let me play devil's advocate for a second. Man, all these wonderful people are following me on insert social media platform here because they just really resonate with my particular personality. And if I started promoting other people and sharing other people's message, then they might start following them instead of me. And I just don't know. I mean, God wants to use my personality and my voice. Yeah. And they won't. They will follow other people, but they'll start following lots of other people and they'll keep coming back to you because they trust you to send them to places that has great content. In fact, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, in some ways, what we've done with exp- our exponential conference, although it's not digital, I mean, exponential, we, in the phrase we use, a little more old school, we consider ourselves the chamber of commerce for church planning. And basically, it's an aggregator is what we are. We, we are not a network, but what we do is we champion every other network. And I think you can apply this digitally too. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure every one of your listeners, they have great things to say and they should say those things. But I also think if they took into account, what if, instead of just making sure everybody heard my voice, but there were other important voices that I made sure got heard, I think it'd probably actually, it's kind of an old school sowing and reaping process. I think if you do that, I think, I think what you sow that out, I think you'd, I think what you'd reap from that is even more influence. 
I think that's powerful. And that kind of gets to the root of something that has been on our heart lately. Um, We've been talking about it with Matt Brown specifically, this idea of, I guess, what we're calling influencer culture. Um, everyone striving to be what they call an influencer, social media influencer. A lot of people believing that they are an influencer. So I'm going to kind of ask you a two-part question um, in a second. And this is not to to set you up or anything. This is just a, in a second, I'm I'm, going to ask you to give the forecast of the positives and the negatives of this digital age that is upon us what you see, the the pros and the cons of this influencer culture. But before we jump into the future, I'm wondering, because you deal with a lot of young leaders who are right up in the middle of the social media world, can you take the temperature of the influencer culture right now and tell us what's working and what's not? What do we need to keep doing? What do we need to just stop altogether? Um, first of all, we got to put a huge disclaimer on this because I don't claim an expertise in this area. Um, but if me and you were just having a conversation and people were listening in, I do think there's a whole lot of folks who are um, trading in a huge amount of missional influence for a little bit of political influence and they need to stop it. Mm. That's powerful. <laughs> okay? Come on. Um, because, I mean, I think if we really believe that if people were focused on Jesus and that's how to change the world, then I think we ought to keep that focus there and let, let our partisanship on the political stuff go. And, and, I, and, and it, I think it is an illusion. I think it's an illusion that somehow if we say something and you could pick either party, either extreme, if, if we somehow put something out on social media, it's like we've actually done something. No, you've not done anything. You've not really done anything but you may have actually distracted from what your real core purpose is. That's kind of how I coach our, our team. That's, that's powerful. That's needed. So what do you see coming in the future in the, from the church planner side to just the, the missional Christ follower side, where are we, where can we take this social media opportunity and what are the pitfalls we need to avoid in the future? I do. I do think. I think what I think the things that are online and not online, things that are digital, not. I think it's going to. I think that's going to become seamless, and I think this kind of that kind of conversation is going to go. Eventually, will go away, and it's going to be just like, okay, that's life. That's life. But that may be another. That may take another generation before we before we get to before we get to get to that place. I do think one of the things I already alluded to this. I do think, and there's people that I know that are really working hard on this. I think to I think churches creating platforms that are actually, and I mean a digital platform this time that'll actually equip so that we can have relationships with anybody around the world and helping them grow as Christ followers or grow into becoming a Christ follower. I think that is a huge, 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 uh, huge part of the future. Um, I don't know what else. I'd have to think more about that probably. No, this has all been, this has all been solid stuff. Hero maker. I want to close out uh, just talking about that for just a minute. Sure. Because I I love, and I'll cut this stuff out. I was challenged deeply by the idea of apprenticeship because as a, as a preacher's kid, I grew up in a super uh, fundamentalist world 
okay. where it was like you had to be 47 married with oh 18 gosh. children before God was going to, you know, do anything with you. I'm reading this book and I'm going, you know, some of these things I know as a pastor, but it just sent me deeper into, I, I'm 27. I could probably already have apprentice, you know, grandchildren. Um, oh yeah. You know, but there are so many young people who are, and I'll, I'll get to the question. I'm just kind of going through this. Sure. Like the, there's so many young people that it's, it's not that they have been taught the wrong thing. It's that they're just lazy. Um, whether you they, lazy, you think they're lazy or they just haven't been given permission. I think in the, in the church world, some have not been given permission, but I think some want to do everything by themselves because it's about credit. It's about clout, not kingdom. Yeah. Um, I want to take selfies of every ministry thing that I do. And it's hard for me to do that with other people and train other people and it be all about me at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So I'd, what I would love to close out this, this episode with is just an encouragement to the young, but we don't have to call him a young leader or whatever we want to call it. Just the young person, how to be an apprentice maker and how to avoid what our, what our previous generations did of saying no to people, you know, just for the heck of saying no, people don't have to prove anything to you. Does that make sense? I think so. so okay. I'm, I'm sorry. This is a, uh, I'm still I'm still learning how to do all this uh, podcast. No, you're doing stuff. great. This is fun. I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not Carrie Newhoff, but I did enjoy listening to that episode. Um, I'm getting my big green egg next week, so I'm you know I'm working on it. Um, there you go. All right, Dave. I was reading your book, Hero Maker, and what I would love to close out talking about is this idea of apprenticeship, because as I was reading it, I was challenged deeply about the idea that I could already have at this point in my life, apprentice grandchildren or great grandchildren by giving people permission to go do things. But that doesn't happen unless I train them and empower them and all the things that you talk about in that book. And so I would just love it if you would close us out by giving a word of encouragement to the young person on being a hero maker, how to be someone's hero and how to seek discipleship when they need it as well. Right. Uh, what, what comes to mind comes to mind is a, a story. Um, there's a guy named Chad who, uh, and if you were hanging out with Chad, uh, just to be honest, I mean, not that great looking, kind of a nerdy, kind of dweeb dude. But the thing that was cool about Chad, even when this is like when he was probably 13, he had this knack for like loving people. I mean, like he genuinely like loved people. And one of the things that we do at community is, like I think I mentioned this to you, we allow everybody who is junior high age or up there a part of our, they can be a part of our leadership if they're actually leading. So he wanted to start a small group. So he apprenticed with someone else and started a small group. He's like 13, starts a, starts a small group for, for, for middle school kids. By the t- from the time he was 13, to the time he went to college, he, he apprenticed and released, I don't know if I'll get the exact right number, it was like eight or nine leaders during that time. And, 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 and this is, and so 
This, this is not the person who is your charismatic, good-looking, charming person, okay? This is someone who is a pretty average dude. But, but his influence, okay, you're talking about being an influencer? His, his influence went from just himself to probably, if you think about, let's say there was nine small groups, probably 100, 150 people that he influenced, not to mention the next generations of people because they, they were apprenticed and they went and apprenticed other people. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, for, for those of us who have the gift of leadership and we crave influence, that's a God-given gift. That's a God-given gift, and that, and that craving is, is appropriate. But the way you have to direct that, that craving and that gift is by investing in other people. And by the way, when you do that, instead of trying to draw all attention to yourself, by investing in them and helping them become everything they are, you will actually gain more influence. It's, a, it's, it's, it's one of those kind of upside-down kingdom kind of things that happens uh, that God teaches you over time. And when you want to have all the influence, you actually shrink your influence. It's kind of like you've seen this before, and you can have your listeners right now. But they just get, get, make a closed fist. Make a closed fist. If you listen to my voice, make a closed fist. And when you have that closed fist, I mean, there's only so much you can hang on to. But when you open it up, okay, open up your hands. If you're listening to me, open your hands. Then you're open to whatever God wants to pour into it, right? And when you open up yourself and invest in others, I mean, I'm telling you. Um, and I could, I could tell you a, a quick story, too. I mean, for me, the first church we planted, I had to apprentice and release my youth pastor. I didn't really want him to go plant a church, to be honest with you, because I liked him being on my, you know what I'm saying, that on my staff, my team. But it was clear that God was using him. We sent him out to Colorado. I thought I was losing a youth pastor. I thought I was losing influence. What turned out, that was the first of what now is more than 2,700 churches that are a part of our New Thing Network that are all planting churches. So um, I'm, I'm just, I guess I encourage your listeners, trust me on this one. If you'll invest in others and release them to do whatever God meant for them to do, he will actually increase your influence. And that is the path to being an even greater influence and a better influence, candidly. At what point do you stop needing someone to apprentice you? At what point are you done being led or taught? Oh, I don't think you ever are. I mean, because essentially that's what that's what Jesus is doing through the Holy Spirit. And I think there becomes different ways over time. I mean, as your influence continues, you're already having great influence, John, but as it continues to grow too, there'll be less and less people. But you'll have to find, I think, more clever ways. And sometimes it's through reading and through books. Sometimes it's by like, hey, you get to a conference, you figure out how can I just get close to this person? Or you're like, hey, can I get an appointment? Sometimes you don't actually have a mentor, but you just find ways whether it's online or whether it's through, through, through reading or whether it's through occasional appointments to get close to those people. And as you do, um, you're always, I think you are, you're constantly being mentored. I think when you quit mentoring, you're going to quit growing or when you're quit being mentored, you'll quit growing. Yeah. So from a leader's perspective, how can you spot someone who is seeking the growth of the kingdom versus someone who is seeking clout? What do you see as the differentiating factor? Um, I think probably um, gratitude and maybe humility. I think people that are grateful, people that are grateful and they, they see the influence that God's given them, they see, and I mean, if you have a certain size platform, you have a certain kind of influence, you have this many followers, whatever, whatever, whatever form it takes, and there really is a gratitude about that, there's a real understanding that, you know what, yeah, I'm hustling. I'm working my butt off to make this happen. But at the same time, you know what? 
this is still better than I am, or it's still a gift. I think people who have that kind of mindset is what you're looking for. That's powerful. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being with us today and for teaching us a little bit about pursuing the great collaboration. I know you use that as a as a catchphrase on the uh, Exponential website. And from the digital side to the in-person side, which, as you said, are increasingly becoming more just life, you know, not two separate things, but just one massive thing. I believe that you have summarized that the key to growth and the key to kingdom is pursuing the great collaboration. So thank you so much for demonstrating that and writing about that. And if someone wants to learn more about all the amazing things that you are a part of, where would you have them go? Um, they, they can go to my website at daveferguson.org or they can just kind of follow me on, you know, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, all, all the spaces uh, at Dave Ferguson. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dave. I really appreciate it. Thanks, John. At Think Eternity and the Digital Missions Collective, we're raising up 1,000 digital billygrams to take Christ to culture. And we want you to be a part. So to learn more, visit us online at digitalmissions.co. There you'll find resources, not only for individuals, but for local churches as well. We've got great opportunities for churches to get plugged into digital missions. And if you're an individual who'd like a little bit more training, we have some intensive training courses that we're providing for you absolutely free, and they're available now. Just visit us online at digitalmissions.co. 